Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. I am so glad that you could join us. Um, Today we're going to be talking about a topic that has recently gotten a lot of attention, but guess what? It was a problem before COVID, and that is indoor air quality in our nation's schools and in our classrooms. And we're going to be talking about the impact that poor indoor air quality can have on students and some of the ways that school districts can go about doing a better job of ensuring that the indoor air quality is ripe for students to do their best work, for teachers to do their best work. And our guest today is Roger Sol- And he is the Director of Facilities, Maintenance and Operations at the Eastside Union High School District in San Jose. And I'm so glad to have you on the show, Roger. Welcome to Go Green Radio. Well, thank you, Jill. It's it's a pleasure and honor to be here. Uh, I'm so excited when you invited me to be on the show. Um, I want to start with, you know, I kind of learned about the subject of CO2 in classrooms from an article in Berkeley Labs. Um, and that kind of resonated with some of the experiences I was having at Eastside, and it led to a almost obsession with learning about CO2 and indoor air quality. Yeah. I, I, I started researching um, articles and white papers on the subject, and it just led me down this long rabbit hole and thousands of pages into it. I, I learned a tremendous amount about mm-hmm. air quality and CO2 levels in classrooms. Well, and I love that because I think that you know, when we talk about environmental issues, it's really important to be sure that we're using credible information as our guide. I've seen too many people get, you know, really excited about different topics, and then they find some source that they came up with on Google, and 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 maybe it wasn't a credible source, and it wasn't something that, you know, really should have been guiding their their thought process. So, I'd like for you to talk about this you know, primary source of information. You mentioned Berkeley Labs. Talk to us a little bit more about that information and what year, uh, what, what year did you come across that study? So, so I, I came across that study in 2018 and the study was actually done in 2013. And it, it was a study about high levels of CO2 and how it affected uh, student absenteeism. And, you know, students were sicker longer and are missing more days of school because of the high levels of CO2. And then the, the more research I did into it, the more articles I found from Berkeley Labs and even all around the world. It, it's not a new subject, um, but there are dozens and dozens of white papers and articles from researchers all over the world, uh, not just Berkeley Labs. Uh, UC Davis, that I also do quite a bit of work with, has done quite a bit of, of, of uh, lab testing and lab, lab work on CO2 and air quality in classrooms. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you said a mouthful when you said, you know, these are white papers. And, and I think that sometimes people are intimidated by research papers, but um, they really do provide us with the best, some of the best research database, you know, types of information to make decisions with. Now, you did learn about this issue before COVID. I want to make sure everybody knows that. Roger was ahead of the game. Um, and I want to talk about that for a moment, because prior to the awareness that the virus could be spread through HVAC systems. What were your thoughts about the importance of indoor air quality in your district? I mean, aside from the coronavirus, what issues were, your, were you thinking about at that point in time? 
So I had just finished triaging a uh, building that had a few teachers that were, were having symptoms, uh, health, health symptoms, and uh, a major odor issue. And so it, it kind of brought home at how big the problem was across just our organization and some of my past experiences. Um, and so I just lost. And so I, I really wanted to see what I could do to um, help improve attendance. So. Eastside, for example, is a uh, district that's funded by ADA, which is average daily attendance. Mm -hmm. And so improving air quality meant more students in the classroom. And the fewer days students missed, the more revenue the district would would receive. And for for example, a a 1% bump in average daily attendance would mean an additional $2 million in revenue for the district. So that was really important to be able to get students back in class. And also, it, it helps improve test scores by almost as much as 10% Holy uh, test scores. And so, we, we spend a lot of effort and funding to help improve test scores. And here's, here's a way that I can contribute and help the district achieve their long-term goals of improving test scores. You know, I love to hear you talk about this, Roger, and I I dare say, you know, I work with facilities managers in school districts across the country, and not all of them take that level of responsibility on themselves. I mean, school districts spend a lot of money on teacher salaries, you know, making sure they get great teachers. They spend a lot of money on instructional materials, but even the best educators can't overcome the impact that high CO2 levels have on students. So talk to us about that, Roger. How do high CO2 levels, I know there's a lot of aspects of indoor air quality, but the CO2 levels especially, how do they impact student learning and student performance. So, you know, here's a few symptoms right from uh, the uh, United Federation of Teachers website, and this is listed right on their website. So, the health symptoms uh, are are fatigue, headaches, difficulty in concentration, eye and upper respiratory irritation, and increase in incidence of of respiratory infections. This is listed right on the uh, their website. And so, if you're in a classroom, for example, and you're exposed to high level CO2 and you're fatigued, uh, you have a difficulty concentrate, concentrating, it's difficult to take your tests. It's difficult, it lowers your test scores because you have a difficulty concentrating. And so um, education is a two-part um, transaction. So it requires a teacher and a student. And so if both student and teacher are fatigued and impaired and have difficulty concentrating in that, in that environment, it affects their grades and, and their performance. And it also, affects their, their behavior. One of the things I did early on at side is I attended a uh, board study and they were looking over behavioral data and how often students are, are sent to the office uh, for behavioral issues. And we track that on a, on a graph and it creates a bell curve and it starts at seven in the morning, it peaks around noon and it drops down at four o'clock in the afternoon, a bell curve. And so when, mm-hmm. when I let, overlaid the CO2 uh, graphs that I created in the classrooms, they're almost mirrored identically one another. It was, it was interesting to see how peak CO2 levels co- coincided with behavioral issues in, with students. And, and the science kind of speaks to that, that if you're fatigued and impaired um, and irritated, um, you're going to have negative transactions between the, between the two, teachers and students. That is brilliant, Roger. I mean, you know, you talk about using data to make great decisions. I mean, overlaying the CO2 levels with that kind of data on student behavior, that 
<laughs> That's remarkable. Um, you know that that you did that and that you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm just blown away. That's so cool. Um, give us some idea. I know that, you know, you work uh, at a high school district in San Jose, but I know that you're doing a lot more on a nationwide basis, you know, to, to get the word out. How big of a problem is this nationwide in our schools? So I've seen some of the articles and reports that, you know, roughly 50% of schools across the country uh, have uh, poor ventilation in their schools. We have a lot of older schools that rely heavily on opening doors and windows. And if you're in uh, inclement weather, for example, in the cold, cold, colder states, it's difficult to have your doors and windows open mm-hmm. um, for ventilation when it's really cold. And so, you know, those, those buildings predate today's uh, building codes that require mechanical ventilation. So uh, in, in bad weather, the, these students are exposed to high levels of CO2, uh, and VOC is because there's just not enough uh, mechanical ventilation. It relies too much on somebody opening a window and a door. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know if you've noticed, if you've seen in the New York Post, um, New York has spent a lot of effort um, going through all of their schools and assessing them to make sure that they have operable windows, that the ventilation systems function before students uh, were, were allowed back in school. Mm-hmm. And some of their older buildings um, that were reopened they were relying on doors and windows in this cold weather. So, oh. so just imagine being a student in a classroom where uh, it's probably in the lower 50s, upper 40s maybe, uh, temperature-wise, and, and the, the heating system is struggling with the cold weather to keep mm-hmm. that room warm, and your, your, your kids are all bundled up. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult learning environment when you're that cold uh, for, yeah, really for, for students but for teachers as well. Well, and I looked on your website, and, you know, it may not – be immediately obvious to people why CO2 levels can be so high in classrooms. But, um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of bodies in a relatively small amount of space and they're exhaling. <laughs> and that, that's where, you know, the, the CO2 is coming from. It's kind of like pulling the covers over your head uh, when you're laying in bed. It's not long before your exhalations, you know, start to 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 really make you gasp for for air and that's the same kind of thing that's going on in these classrooms where there's not ventilation or fresh air you know in the next segment of the show we'll dive into some specific steps that you took to address this issue in your school district but i'd love for you to spend a minute or two telling us about the website you've launched and what you've been doing to advocate for this issue beyond the east side union high school district in san jose california so I, I launched the website as a, as a means to bring awareness to the issue. I, I didn't know how to gain awareness on a national level other than to create a website and a blog to be able to, to bring my message out to the public. I, I, think, I, I think that having the public more informed and involved will really help drive some of the uh, pressure on school districts to, to focus on air quality. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard to just focus on legislation and from the top, but creating a grassroots initiative to have everyone um, involved would really help move the issue forward. It's been Agreed. a long-standing problem. Been a long-standing problem, and to yeah, be able to have well a, a effort from both directions, I think, would be very beneficial and probably move us along much quicker. Well said, Roger. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about with Roger Silveira. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. 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 Opinion. 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 
Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. World. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. And if you're just now tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Roger Silveira. He's the Director of Facilities Maintenance and Operations in the Eastside Union High School District in San Jose, California. And he has done some really advanced data-driven work to improve the indoor air quality in the classrooms in his district. And during this segment, we're going to learn about some of the specifics that he has undertaken. So, you know, Roger, you are the Director of Facilities, Maintenance and Operations in your school district. And prior to reading the study that you did on poor ventilation in classrooms um, several years ago, what did your district expect you to do about indoor air quality in schools? What was in your job description related to classroom ventilation? And, and what did it take to convince your district to start focusing more on classroom air quality? So there wasn't really anything in my job description um, that, that focused on indoor quality. Um, Eastside did have a um, administrative re- regulation within our board policy that stated that we were going to be compliant with Title 24 and the JAR, um, which is the Department of, in- of uh, Industrial Regulations Air Quality Standards. And so we did have that in place, but it wasn't really focused on and so I, I knew I had something there that I could work with. And so I didn't really have to go get buy-in from administration. I just took the initiative on and ran with it. And, you know, fortunately for Eastside, we uh, have a, a facilities bond uh, that has some funding for energy work and uh, infrastructure. 
And I, and I was able to u- utilize a lot of those energy dollars and apply them towards air quality. Air quality, there are a lot of energy products out in the market today that help improve air quality. For example, we installed over 1,500 on-demand thermostats, and those thermostats had a function that graphed CO2 levels. And so I was very attracted to those thermostats because of the graphing, and it allowed me to, to keep historical data on CO2 levels in classrooms. So I could save energy with the thermostats, pay for them through an energy uh, initiative, and then also monitor air quality. So that was just one way I, I was able to do it. And so it, it was wirelessly, wireless and inexpensive. And so um, I, I started out actually with uh, my daughter. And when, when I discovered we had some it, potential issues, I, I just took some um, sta- uh, standalone data loggers and I placed them around the district and just started kind of collecting data to see how bad the problem was mm-hmm. uh, before, before mass installing a whole bunch of these uh, throughout the district. And I, I even took my daughter, uh, who's a student at Eastside, and I outfitted her backpack with a data logger and a battery. And I had her just go through school for a few days and just see how she was exposed uh, to a CO2. High school students are a little different than elementary, where elementary students you know, typically stay in the single classroom all day long. But high mm-hmm. school students, you know, they, they migrate. They go from class to class. And, you know, yeah. she has six periods a day. So she's bouncing from classroom to classroom. So, not, so she was only exposed to it about 50% of her day where she had classrooms that were higher level. So it wasn't mm. as impactful, but it still does impact the student because the teacher's there all day. And so, yeah. like I mentioned earlier, if the teacher's impacted, then it impacts the student's, the student's um, experience. So it's just absolutely. as important in high school that it is, as it is in elementary schools. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's that's so cool that you were able to you know kind of team up with your daughter to collect this data. Um, and how did you know how did you determine what kind of data uh, collection devices that you needed? I mean, how did you find the right devices to put on her backpack or you know these thermostats that would graph the CO two? How did you find those devices? A lot of research. I spent a lot of time uh, researching online for uh, data loggers uh, who had the best ratings. Uh, there, as far as the thermostats go, there weren't a lot of options when I started. Mm-hmm. There are a lot more companies getting into that space today. So there are a lot more devices now for monitoring air quality. But uh-huh. a few years ago, there were not. And so it was difficult to even find one that would graph the data because it's it's very tedious and time consuming. So having the software graph it was was hugely important to be yeah. able to, to to monitor and manage all the data coming in. And you know, in order to find the budget for that, was it strictly from some of the energy projects that you already had funding for, or did you have to do anything else to find a budget to to address this issue? Yeah, we we had no budget for say that said okay, this here's a, here's the pool of funding uh, for air quality. I just took it upon myself to be as creative as I, as I could with the funding that I had available and, and design projects uh, that would be energy efficient, but also produce uh, better air quality. And so I can blend the two because mm-hmm. I, I guess, like I mentioned, I didn't have an, a, an actual fund designated for just indoor air quality, but I did have quite a bit of, of funding available for for energy. Uh-huh. Um, so that, that's how I managed to uh, tackle the issue at Eastside. 
Yeah, you know, and speaking of energy, a lot of school districts place restrictions on classroom thermostats, so teachers can't manipulate them very much, and that's to save money on energy. I mean, we all can imagine that energy consumption can be a really large budget line item for school districts, and a lot of school districts want to save money in that budget category so they can apply the dollars to education-related expenses versus, you know, a higher utility cost. So, what are your thoughts on the cost of the energy needed to properly ventilate classrooms? What have you seen at this, you know, intersection of energy conservation and saving money on energy, but also running the ventilation system such that, you know, there's a, 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 an air turnover rate that pre- creates good indoor air quality. Yeah, so, you know, energy is the second largest expenditure for Eastside. We spend roughly $6 million a year on utilities, so that, that's a very large line item. And so focusing on saving energy uh, was, was huge. And so I spent a, a quite a bit of time when I, when I came on board trending the data and, and seeing where I could make some adjustments to help save us energy um, and, and, you know, improve air quality. And so there is a few, there's some conversations out there that theoretically introducing more fresh air into classrooms is going to cost more money in energy uh, because theoretically, if you bring outside air into a space, you have to condition it. Um, but from my experience, we, we don't live in the theoretical world. I, I, I live in the real world and it's not the, the information, not the experience that I'm having by doing all the assessments and the work that I do in schools. There's, there's quite a bit of dysfunction and systems are not work, working as they were designed. So they're using a lot more energy and they're just not well maintained. So they're using a tremendous amount of more energy than they were theoretically designed to. So if, if you go into a school and you redesign the mechanical system, update it with, with energy efficient equipment and, and controls, I, I, I I'm a believer that you can actually save energy in the long run and better ventilate schools. Mm-hmm. There, there is technology out there today uh, to ventilate um, buildings uh, very efficiently. There, there are devices called um, energy recovery ventilators, mm-hmm. and, and they bring in outside air and temper it with the air going out. So, for example, in the winter, um, the air in your building or your, your home would be 68 degrees, uh, and so that's the air going out it tempers the air coming in. So the air coming in now is at roughly about 62 degrees. So you, you recover about 80% of that energy. And so you can flush large volumes of air through a building through these devices and save the energy. So we, we have the technology that already exists to help save energy and provide a lot of ventilation. That's that's amazing, Roger. And and that's a nugget of knowledge that I, I hope that you and your awesome website are able to get out to more and more of your linear counterparts across the nation. I want to mention the URL for Roger's website. It's weneedfreshair.com. It's really cool. And I want you guys to get out there. He's got some blogs up. He's got some facts up, um, some really cool things to take a look at. You know, Roger, since COVID hit, school districts have been under enormous pressure to follow guidelines for indoor air quality. Talk to us about how you've dealt with this issue in your school district. So a a lot of the guidance uh, coming from the CDC and ASHRAE, and ASHRAE is the American Society of Health, Refrigeration, and Air Conditioning Engineers, and it's focused a lot around ventilation and making sure that, uh, you know, doors and windows are open and, and buildings are, are properly vented. And so, you know, I started a couple of years ago, so I have the advantage that we started a couple of years ago going through our systems, and, and since we installed CO2 monitors throughout the district, um, 
and, and some of that will be paid for through the, uh, the signing of AB 841, which is a, um, it's, it's a legislation to help pay for some of the, the devices. Um, with the monitoring in place, I can look at uh, how well each one of our classrooms are vented. Similar to, to a parent who takes a thermometer to, the, to, the, to their mm-hmm. children and, and makes sure that the temperature is okay and they're not yeah. sick. And, and if that CO2 level rises above the, uh, the recommended rate, we can call an expert to come in and look at the system. You, you don't have to be an expert, just like you don't have to be a physician to know when your child's sick. You just take your thermometer and if he's got a, a high fever, you, you take him to the, the hospital. And so we, we, we can do the same thing with CO2 monitors by looking at those spaces. And o- over the past year, we've had um, COVID testing at quite a few of our sites. And so we were able to adjust our systems to bring as much fresh air as possible and keep those CO2 levels at 600 or below parts per million. And we, we had rooms, larger rooms, with over 1,000 people per day coming through for COVID testing. And we were, we were able to maintain the ventilation rate uh, all day while they're there. And I, I didn't see a single case um, tracked back to the testing facility. And so we were able to keep our staff and the people safe just by managing the, the ventilation in those spaces. That's incredible. And it just goes back to this idea. You can't man- manage what you don't measure. And the fact that you're measuring this information and using it to make decisions is so smart and so brilliant. Um, your school district is so lucky to have you. You know, another big air quality issue that your district faced in 2020 was wildfires. And experts are saying that we need to be ready for that to be more common in the years to come, especially in California. How do you plan to preserve good air quality indoors um, if there's a lot of smoke and particulate matter outdoors? So part of COVID, um, part of COVID um, reduction, the uh, strategies is, is to install a MERV-13 filter. And most of our HVAC systems, HVAC systems, can handle the MERV-13 filters. And, and MERV-13 filters will, will filter about 90% of particles. That's pretty small. And so uh, it's, not, it, it's not as good as a HEPA filter, but it will, it will filter about 90% of particles. And most of our systems can handle those. those. And with the technology that we install, the on-demand ventilation, one of the nice features that attracted me to it is a, besides just the CO2 graphing, was a feature that at a push of a button, I can shut down the outside air intake and go into recirculation mode. While it does present the problem of higher CO2 levels, but the CO2 levels are less, are less dangerous than all the particulate matter from the smoke. Yeah. So I, yeah. I can go into recirculation mode, filter the air, and at wow. least keep students a little safer uh, than breathing all that uh, particulate matter from the smoke. That is so cool. I can so do that at cool. a push of a button. That is so cool, Roger. What what a great piece of gear you have installed in your classrooms with this wireless technology. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about with Roger. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Today, our topic is all about the importance of indoor air quality in schools. Um, It's an often neglected, often overlooked uh, topic, but there's more and more research, especially because of COVID, about how important it is, not just for students' health, but also for student academic performance, and of course, the teacher's performance as well as educators. And so our guest today, in case you're just joining us, is Roger Silvera, and he is the facilities director um, for maintenance and operation in the East Side Union High School District in San Jose, California. And he's, he's taken the initiative to be an innovator in this space, to care deeply about the students in his school district. And we're talking to him about some of the things that he's been doing. You know, Roger, it's such such a such a lucky thing, so fortunate for the students and teachers in your school district that you came upon an article on indoor air quality in schools and took action. But there are still a lot of school districts that have no one on staff who's knowledgeable about CO2 levels and things like that. So what do you think it's going to take to get more facilities directors involved in this work? So this year, because of COVID and my involvement with CASH, you know, the Coalition of Adequate School Housing, I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of facilities directors uh, in in California. And um, unfortunately, most of them are pretty uh, busy. And, you know, the the work that I do here takes a lot of bandwidth, and and a lot of them are already uh, challenged with the amount of time they they have to deal with the, the current current issues they have. So this just adds another layer of work for them. And so uh, until there's more training available, and and I almost believe that there, there should be a mandate, uh, but without indoor air quality becoming a mandated in schools, um, it's, it's, if it's left just to a voluntary basis, uh, I think it's going to take much longer to, to gain traction 
because mm-hmm. most of these people are, like myself are pretty busy and um, they, they have a lot on their plate. Yeah, they sure do. Let's talk about that training that you mentioned. What kind of training and support do you think school districts need on their on this topic? Is there any formal training out there, or are school districts just kind of on their own to try and find the training? That you know, they're kind of on their own. There's there's nothing mandated. Um, so the training, they're kind of on their own. There is, for example. You know, here in California, we have mandated reporters. So you're required by the state to take a, to be a mandated reporter if you work in school. So that training is mandated. If you're going to use chemicals in California in schools, you're, you're mandated to take a training course uh, to use chemicals. And if, if, for example, if you're a bus driver, um, you know, California has some of the strictest uh, rules for bus drivers. They have to do an, a, a 10 hours of a, a year in, in training. Uh, they have to recertify every five years from scratch behind the wheel driving just to be able to drive students back and forth. So we have a lot of other mandates uh, in schools, but none for indoor air quality. And I think that's what it's going um, to take to, to be able to, uh, to get them trained. And when you look at trade unions uh, in, in the trades, in the construction trades, th- those trade unions provide training for their staff. Uh, and so they have, they have a, typically a four-year apprenticeship program. They go to night school, and, and they become journeyman masters of their trade. In school districts, you know, we have bargaining units, but they're a little bit different. Uh, the staff learn from one another. They don't really mm-hmm. go to a trade school. They learn from one another. And so if they weren't formally trained uh, from the beginning, they don't necessarily have the training and the background. And so they're teaching other people to do, new, new staff members to do the work that they weren't formally trained to do as well. So that becomes this, this cycle of just not enough training in schools. Well, and, and, you know, I hear what you're saying about legislation around this issue, um, but I'm a little bit skeptical, and here's why. The state of California, for instance, made recycling in schools mandatory. It made separating organic material from the trash mandatory. But in the absence of any type of enforcement, a lot of school districts are not taking it seriously. And yet it's still, you know, statutory and, and, and mandated. But, but what do you think we need in terms of legislation around this issue? Should this be um, enforced? Should there be some sort of penalty for not um, adhering to, uh, you know, the, the principles of providing good air quality to students? I'm really interested in your thoughts on that. So, you know, as a director says, I have a lot of discretion uh, to work on equipment. So there's, in California, uh, school districts are regulated by what they call the Division of State Architect, and, and they provide oversight for construction projects um, and, and new work. But there's, I don't know if they call it a loophole, but there's a, a provision that allows people like myself to do a lot of uh, air conditioning and heating air conditioning work. So we can replace, uh, you, you know, rooftop units that provide ventilation uh, with, a, with a provision called like in kind. So we tear out the old one, put a new one in its place that, that's similar to what was there. And so the, and that process has zero oversight. So we can replace tons of equipment with zero oversight. And in, in, in a study from UC Davis, uh, there was a lot of uh, energy funding you know, through Prop 39, and there's quite a few HVAC units that were replaced. And in this study, uh, after schools was put new equipment on, um, they weren't tested and balanced and, and validated to make sure they're providing ventilation. So 85% of those systems don't provide the fresh air, although they're brand new. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, I can't help but thinking that this would be a great opportunity, this kind of work, um, to engage students. Um, And I'm wondering what your thoughts are, besides putting a data monitor on your daughter's backpack, (laughs) how can school districts engage students in the work of improving classroom indoor air quality? It seems like this could be a fantastic teaching moment. It is. And so um, I'm I'm a CTE certified um, teacher. I don't teach in the classroom, but I do have the credentials. And so that allows me to, to ad hoc and, and lecture in, in classrooms. So last year, just before COVID, we ran a, uh, a project with students on indoor air quality. And so I set up students with access to our CO2 monitoring, and then I gave them some portable CO2 monitors that they can go to neighboring school districts and run experiments. And, and we were fortunate to be able to get um, – a plant wall from a company called Biome, and that plant wall was a living air filter. Um, mm-hmm. Unlike your typical decorative plant walls, this plant wall was unique. It actually drew air in with fans and blew it through the root ball, and it helped filter the air. So it, it removed particulate matter, and then it also helped the lower CO2 levels. And in the experiment that the students did, uh, we were able to lower CO2 levels by 40% just with that plant wall. So we were looking for uh, you know, alternatives to mechanicals is more natural ways to lower CO2 and then teach students all about CO2. I, I provided them with uh, a tremendous amount of resources and data and the students were really good about running with it and running their projects. It was really exciting. They, they got to present their projects at Stanford uh, with, with a program called VDC, Virtual Design Construction. It was really exciting to, to get them involved. That is really cool. And you know what? I'm going to ask you a technical question because this is something that I'd like to see replicated in other school districts. What kind of devices did you give the students to do the monitoring with? Because I know there's a lot out on the market and they, you know, they really vary in their range of cost. Do you have any recommendations for the kinds of monitors that you could put in the hands of high school students and let them kind of take the ball and run with it? So there's a, a website called CO2meter.com, and of course they have uh, they specialize in CO2 monitors, and they have a tremendous amount of different products available. And so it'd be a good resource for science teachers and different you know CT programs teachers, career tech education teachers, to be able to go and look for uh, devices to be able to, to monitor. Um, I, I was fortunate that I, I was able to get um, hours on loan from a company called Air Angels. Um, uh-huh. They had a cell card so that they can monitor the information remotely via, you know, via cloud services. So the kids were able to put the devices in the classroom remotely and then download the information over the internet. Whoa, that's so cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, And and that's another just tremendous nugget there you've just given us. Um, Did you have any concerns about, you know, the kids breaking the monitors or like what kind of training did you give them so that they could use them properly? And so I, I would go into the classroom, show them how to set them up, uh, teach them how to use them, um, what, what, what information to look for, how to, to, how to analyze the data. And so I spent some time with them in the classroom, helping them that way. Um, our schools are high schools. The, the students involved in these programs um, are, are very involved. They care. Um, so I, wasn't, I didn't have a lot of concern about them breaking the devices. You know, they're very cautious and they're very passionate uh, about the environment. And, and, and be able to participate. So it, it went really well. 
That's awesome. And and were these students like part of a CTE program or were they part of an environmental club? How did you find the students and like how many did you work with? Oh, it was a classroom. Um, so okay. our, our CTE program, um, the director of our CTE program was who actually invited me in. Um, mm-hmm. but he and I had, I, I support the, the classrooms. And, you know, I, I helped them install a lot of their, their equipment. So I, I'm pretty involved with the director of the, the program. So he invited me to participate with the students. And so I, I attended a course through, at Stanford uh, that, that the students are involved with. And then I participated with them in, in, in some of the pr- projects. And that's, that's how I got started. That is really cool. I, I want you to take a couple minutes, Roger, and I want you to think about what advice you have for other school districts who may be listening to this this episode today. Talk to your linear counterparts across the country. What advice do you have? So, you know, I, 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 was, I participated in a webinar yesterday, and we, we talked quite a bit about the federal funding that's coming. And so it's there's a significant amount of federal aid coming into school districts to help out with some COVID relief. And some of that funding is uh, geared towards uh, COVID uh, projects that can improve health and well-being of students. And so you can use a lot of that federal funding. You know, the state of California has some state funding. We have some energy funding. So in California, there are three different initiatives uh, that we can, we can leverage, but other states are, are also going to receive the federal funding. So, so I, it would behoove school districts to, to use as much of that one-time money uh, for ventilation uh, issues. And, and some of the, just like ESA, we have a lot of older, tired equipment. And it, it, it'd be, take, be great to take advantage of, the, of this funding that, that's a one-time funding and solve you know, some, some issues, replace older, outdated, problematic equipment, you know, install new, more efficient equipment, install controls. Uh, and, and so by solving some of these long-term issues with that one-time money, can position you to be better off for the next 20 years with all new equipment and take advantage of this one-time fund that may never come around again. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Roger. And and one of the things that we got to remember is if we use some of that funding for those capital expenditures for more energy efficient equipment, as well as equipment that can help increase the ventilation and improve indoor air quality over the long haul, we're also going to save some money on energy. So uh, there's a lot of short-term and long-term benefits. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have more with Roger Silveira. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh, yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hey. 
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you're with us today and really honored to be talking with Roger Silveira, the facilities director in the Eastside Union High School District in San Jose, California. The work that he is doing to improve and maintain high quality indoor air quality for his students is just above and beyond. I'm so inspired and it's been great having you on the show, Roger. I'd love for you to talk to us about some of the organizations that you've partnered with like the Coalition for Adequate School Housing and the Collaborative for High-Performance Schools. Talk to us about what those organizations do and, and how they've been helpful to you. So, so, so the, collaborative, um, the Coalition of Adequate School Housing, you know, CASH, you know, it was founded in 1978, and it was to help uh, with the statewide resources for school facilities. You know, they, they recognize the importance of, of school facilities and how it, it, it it contributes to the overall experience of education. And so CAT provides an advocacy leadership and training for opportunities for, for people like myself. And so when I took their course a couple of years ago, I, I met one of their, one of their teachers, uh, Joe Dixon. And so we, we built a relationship. And then as I, as I learned more about indoor air quality, I reached out to them. And then he connected me with another gentleman by the name of Ian. And, and they were great to help move the CO2 monitoring and some of the initiatives forward. The, the legislation, you know, they have lobbyists that work that they work with, and, and they have direct connections to legislators that I didn't have. So, you know, partnering with them helped me get my message across as much as I could. And, and they have a lot of really smart people that they, they, they collaborate with to help move the air quality issue forward. And then, That's you know, awesome. I, I worked with, I worked a little bit with um, CHIPS, which is a collaborative high-performing schools, and they're an organization that focuses on green buildings. And, and how green buildings promote uh, better education of healthier students. You know, with, with, with green buildings, uh, you get a lot more fresh air, better lighting. So building green buildings not only saves energy, but produces a much better environment, a learning environment for students in the long run. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Are there any other organizations or stakeholder groups who could be helpful to you or your counterparts in other districts? So, you know, if you want to do a quick search, EPA has an indoor air quality tool that, mm-hmm. that's fascinating that you can actually um, download some of the forms and some of the templates that they have to help you do your own assessments if you can't afford to hire a professional. And so they're a really good resource uh, for direct, you know, facility managers and directors to, to, to look at air quality in schools and have, you know, a, a sense of a template and a, a background to, to do some of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, ASHRAE uh, has a lot of material on indoor air quality, and, and so does the CDC, especially now with COVID. Those are, those mm-hmm. are some of the ones I can think of. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm wondering, you know, as your website progresses and you have more in your blog and, and, and different pages that you're planning on uh, building on your website, will you be linking some of these resources on your website so that if people go to weneedfreshair.com, they can find some of those resources? Yeah, that's, that's the, the, the next edition is going to be a resource page. 
that mm-hmm. I that I want to build that that gives people access to all the studies or the, the different groups, EPA, and just direct links that they can find this information quickly without having to spend a lot of time doing the research like I did. Uh, so yeah. that's up and coming over the next several weeks. We'll have that up and running so everybody can have access to just the resources that I that I have. That's so helpful. That, and, you know, people like you who, you know, take the extra step to leave some breadcrumbs for people following in your path are so valuable because, you know, you had to do this all on your own, patching together resources from all over the place. And, you know, it's, it's really great that you're doing this so other people can get right to it instead of trying to, you know, Google search all of these resources, get right to it if they go to your website. You know, Roger, I want to ask you this question because we do have a lot of young adults who listen to Go Green Radio, and they want a quote-unquote green job, but they don't know how to get one. (laughs) I'd love for you to spend a couple minutes talking to us about your path to get where you are today um, in a job that is protecting kids' health from indoor air pollutants. Talk to us about that a little bit. So, the the energy field is one of the fastest growing segments right now, and and it's funny you you asked the question. I I was uh, approached by three recruiters in the past a month alone, um, looking for people. If I if I was interested in in migrating away from schools into the energy sector, so there's a, there's a the big demand for uh, in in the energy field for professionals. And it, if you like technology, there's so much new technology. It's it's growing so fast. Uh, if you're young and you love technology in the controls world that controls the energy. Uh, it's such a huge field. If you want to get into the installation, the software side, it's such a big big field. Um, for every building we build today, there's there's 10 more that, that are already existing that someone has to take care of. So the facilities world in energy management and, and energy is such a, a, a huge field. There's so many opportunities for young people to get in. Um, and, and junior colleges now in, in have programs uh, that focus on energy and sustainability. And so I, I, that's what I would recommend is just focus on the sustainability aspect. And there's, there's plenty of jobs if you're willing to, to take the effort, the initiative. Absolutely. And and just, you know, I, I've read your bio. I know what your, your career path has been, but talk to our listeners a little bit about this, because I think one of the lessons learned is um, there, there are many, many paths to a quote unquote green job. And I would love for you to, to share a little bit more about your own path and how you got to this point. You didn't start off in this field. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. Um... I started out as, as, you know, I worked my way up through the, through the trades. I, I was a general contractor. Um, I, I got into school facilities and I worked for, for Microsoft for a short period of time. So I got to learn a lot about buildings. Um, it, it was just my passion for energy and air quality that, that, I, that I learned so much and, and I applied some of the things that I learned. And for example, you know, I took on energy at Eastside when I, when I, when I first was hired there and I, I benchmarked some of the energy spend and I noticed a, a trend that we were using uh, twice, twice as much energy as we were five years previously. So I, I did a quick audit of, the, of our building and metering and I, I found some anomalies that uh, we were able to recover you know, a little over a million dollars in, in, wow. in um, refunds from overbilling. And so <sighs> it was that passion to just do the research, uh, do the work, that, that made that recovery. And then the more work I did, uh, the more I got noticed. So it's just having passion for it, doing as much work as you can, learn as much as you can, and, and, and people will notice you. 
Yeah, I love that. Now, Roger, I, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball for a second here. If you meet all of the goals that you have for your website, for your outreach campaign with WeNeedFreshAir.com, if you had to look into the future five years from now, how will things be different for American students in five years than they are today if you're able to reach all of your goals for your outreach campaign? So I, I definitely hope that the information we talked about today is, is uh, well received and, and people take the initiative to do as much as they can. We now spend, nine, you know, pre-COVID we spent 90% of our time indoors and with COVID, we're spending now 92% of our time indoors. So indoor quality is more important than ever. And so there, there are some drawbacks with, with higher rates of asthma that, that are affected by with, with young children. So my hope is that if we improve air quality, we, we can lower um, we, can, we can lower asthma rates and we can, we can help people be healthier in the long term. And, and some of the, the history of ventilation dates back to the 1600s. So like, like I mentioned, this is not really a new subject. Um, but I hope that we, we have a much healthier uh, students and, and, and staff in, in the long term. And some of these health, uh, some of the things are health, health issues that uh, stay with you for the rest of your life, you just having good air quality. Absolutely. Well, and, and one of the things that's so amazing um, to note is that, you know, indoor air quality is a problem across the board uh, in schools, in urban, rural, and suburban uh, areas. And it, it, there does tend to be, uh, from what I've seen from the EPA and some studies from the Harvard School of Public Health, that there is a disproportionate amount of, of poor indoor air quality in classrooms that are in low income and community of color school districts. But we also know that even uh, affluent school districts that aren't paying attention to these issues can have the same issues. And so we owe it to our students um, to, to do a better job with this. Roger, in the few moments that we have left in the show, what parting thoughts would you like to leave with our listeners? Um, I, I just hope everybody has a, has a chance to visit the website, uh, learn as much as you can. And, and don't hesitate to reach out to me through the website if you have any questions. Uh, I, I want to help anybody as, as much as I possibly can. And, and the better informed we are as, as leaders, the, the, the better decisions we can make and, uh, and, and just be able to create healthier environments for, for moving forward for students and staff. Well, I really appreciate you, Roger. I appreciate all the work that you're doing and your willingness to spend time with us today and share it with others. I want to remind everybody you can get out on Roger's website. It's weneedfreshair.com. His contact information is there and you can reach out to him and, and learn more and, and, this is a true pioneer, folks, somebody that is not only doing the right things, but is kind enough to share his time and share his understanding with others. Thank you, Roger, for being with us. Thank you to our listeners as well. We're going to be here same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Until then, have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green.
Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.